All right, we are finally back. Welcome, everyone. Welcome back to the Didactic Mind podcast, and this is Didactic Mind, episode 86, The Call to Arms. A very warm welcome to all of my longtime readers. Very warm welcome to all of my Podbean subscribers. I almost said SoundCloud again. Um, yeah, force of habit. I was on SoundCloud for like a year doing almost like weekly podcasts pretty much on the nose. So force of habit, like I said. Uh, but it, if you have not subscribed on Podbean itself, please make sure you hit the subscribe button. Make sure you like, comment, and share. The link is going to be in the um, Podbean uh, description box and it will also be available on the uh, post on the site. So make sure you subscribe, make sure you never miss a new upload, uh, make sure you subscribe to the Didactic Mind mailing list so you never miss a new upload there either, a new post. Um, well, it's been uh, an interesting few weeks and uh, no doubt people have been watching the news with a mix of, I guess, trepidation and dread uh, and just shock and horror at what is happening around the world. And for this reason, I've generally been avoiding kind of, kind of making regular podcasts because it's hard to make regular podcasts when everything just seems like crap and uh, you're just depressed all the time by the news. Uh, I consume quite a lot of the news media, uh, not of the uh, American news media, of course, because as far as I'm concerned, most of those journalists aren't journalists at all. They're, they're, um, they're left-wing hacks and deserve to lose their jobs. They deserve to lose everything because of what they've done, the lies that they spread. Uh, but you know, various alternative news sites, the, the foreign, the international media is not so bad. I mean, if you know where to look, it's easy to find um, the right places to go and the right sources. You do have to be a bit careful when viewing some of those sources though and that's where having the ability to troll the internet more or less anonymously is very very helpful. For that make sure you get a VPN, make sure you have something that will mask your IP address and uh, when you're searching for the truth these days because the establishment simply feeds you lies. You have to figure out for yourself what the truth is. That means you have to make up your own mind. You have to look up sources that are out of the ordinary. To do that, you have to use a VPN these days. To express an opinion that is out of step with the mainstream, you have to use a VPN. So in terms of which VPN to use, well, there are lots of choices out there. As far as I'm concerned, Surfshark is by far the best value in the industry. And if you go to uh, their website right now, I mean, they'll give you like 80% off their regular price. So for essentially the price of a cup of coffee every month, just once a month, and not that awful, horrible, undrinkable Starbucks swill either, which is just, I, I don't know why they get away with calling it coffee, but they do. Um, you can get full protection uh, on any device that you own, anywhere in your house, anywhere that you go. The app is very simple to use. You can use it on Linux, on Mac, on PC, though why you want on PC these days is beyond me, or at least running Windows. I don't get it, but anyway, I've been using Linux for, oh, 13 years, something like that. So I don't understand the Windows world anymore and haven't done for a very long time. But if you are interested in protecting yourself online, head over to Surfshark, check out their deals, 
and get 80% off right now on their best package for, I think it's a three-year deal, again, uh, or is it a two-year deal, I forget, but I mean, the, the price that you're paying for it is way better than you'll get for any other VPN anywhere in the industry. It's just that simple. And uh, as for coffee, well, I love coffee in the morning, obviously. Um, I drink uh, at least two cups of coffee a day and at least two cups of tea a day. And interestingly, I just acquired a, uh, a coffee machine. Uh, not, I mean, not just, it's been around for a couple of months, but it's bloody fantastic. Uh, it's, a, it's an actual proper espresso maker and uh, it allows you to very finely control all of the various settings. Uh, the actual grind setting, the amount that you get from the grinder, the, um, the, the, dose, the, the dosage, etc, etc. You can make uh, milk-based drinks with it. It's fantastic. I mean, it's a great machine. And uh, I got it actually secondhand uh, off of Amazon. But if you're interested in that, if you're looking for a really good coffee maker, check that out because it is, it is absolutely brilliant. Um, I used to drink instant coffee every morning just because I was like, well, it's cheap and it's simple. Um, when I finally got enough money to invest in a proper coffee maker, I was like, well, I don't want to get a Jura coffee maker because they're a bit delicate and a bit fiddly and they break down easily, which they do. My, my family's had experience with Jura coffee makers. and. And they had one um, which broke down after like five, six years of, of operation, which is a bit shocking for something made by the Swiss. Um, so they got rid of that and they got a new one and that broke down after a few years as well. Uh, but this, these guys seem to make very, very durable, reliable coffee makers. So check it out. I'll have the link in the description box along with the link to the actual coffee, uh, hopefully, if I can find it, that I enjoy, which is very, very good. Uh, nothing like a good cup of coffee in the morning to get your thought processes going. So, on this issue of this kind of heaviness, this depression, this lassitude that's sitting on top of us as Christians, it is a problem, and it's, it's a problem that affects everybody. I've talked about this before, and I want to talk about it again, just because I feel as though things are getting, are building towards a point where a rupture of some kind is absolutely inevitable. One of my friends over in the US, uh, WB, good friend of mine, uh, really good Christian, solid brother, uh, recently um, told me about somebody else who he knows who has received an offer to do pastoral care for people uh, in his church. Like, apparently, I'm not exactly clear on the details, but apparently my friend's friend um, is in a church where the pastor stepped down for, I mean, it wasn't anything like scandalous or anything, he just stepped down um, st suddenly. There's no, no scandals involved of any kind, it's just he didn't feel the calling anymore. Okay, fine, I mean, whatever. Um, but this guy was then asked to step in and preach in this church. Now this, as you know, is a very weighty responsibility and a very scary one because when you're a pastor, you are now suddenly responsible for the souls and the salvation of your flock. And the reality is that most Christian churches aren't Christian anymore. None of this is new or surprising, but the reality is that when you have some 42,000 denominations or whatever it is, 
um, among the Protestants and when the Catholic Church has clearly gone completely off the rails and when the Orthodox Church it, I mean it, the Orthodox Church is in a very odd place as well uh, when all of these mainline churches these these institutions these bedrock institutions of the Christian faith have gone way off the deep end how do you know what you're supposed to preach and how do you know what you're supposed to tell people in order to give them hope it's a very very tricky question it's a very difficult thing to discuss but the reality is we are not called to be afraid as Christians we are called to be in this world but not of this world and I think many of my Christian brothers out there are really struggling with the in this world aspect of things because when you're in this world the temptation is to be of this world and that's the point we are constantly being pulled into the temptations of the world in order to test us everything that you're seeing right now is a test everything that you're experiencing right now in terms of the spiritual heaviness this weight on your shoulders in your mind this depression that you feel all around you is a test it's a test of your willpower it's a test of your faith it's a test of your strength i'll give you a very simple personal example okay where i'm living right now i'm not going to tell you but where i'm living right now across from where you know in in the building right across uh from mine and i can see out the window to uh, to look at this stuff right now there is a, a fat, ugly lesbian couple um, on the floor above me. There's a gay male couple uh, on the same floor as me uh, on the building opposite. And people around here have very little shame in terms of the way they dress, the way they act, the way they move. Uh, they glorify all that is sinful and ugly and disgusting. Uh, they openly flout the laws of God. They openly rage against him. I was um, in the center of the city uh, a couple of months ago. The, there was, to my great disgust, a gay or LGBTQ, what the, what, what is this shit, um, parade on in the middle of the city at that time. Uh, apparently the previous year's parade had been canceled because of the coof and this year's parade was like all about unleashing a lot of pent-up whatever it is that the weirdos and freaks feel but you know releasing all of that and having a great time and having a big party well that's exactly what they did they went into the center of the city and had a massive you know blowout party in the uh, what they call the, the, the gay district it literally is called the gay something or the other in, in, um, in their parlance um, and I, I went in there and, and I happened to come across um, a group of Christians standing by the metro track and preaching and offering up the Word of God. You couldn't imagine a more hostile environment than that unless you're in the middle of like Fallujah trying to do the same thing, preaching to Muslims. Or actually, you don't even need to go to Fallujah these days. Uh, what you have to do is go to Speaker's Corner over in Hyde Park in London, which was supposed to be the bastion of free speech. You could say anything you wanted without 
being shouted down or uh, knifed or whatever. But I mean, not too long ago, um, Sister Hatun Tash uh, is a Christian convert who whose father is actually an imam, a very very well known imam in her native country of Turkey, uh, was in speaker's corner preaching and she was attacked by a Muslim man with a, a knife who tried to stab her to death and he, he attacked her viciously. Um, anybody who's ever taken Krav Maga knows and understands, or like real Krav Maga, I'm talking real Krav Maga, not the fake nonsense that they teach at most so-called Krav Maga schools. Anyone who studied serious Krav Maga understands what a knife attack means. It's not like when you it's not like when you're training and you're waving around a plastic knife or a rubber knife which isn't sharp and won't hurt you except maybe it'll poke you in the eye and that'll hurt like hell. When you train against a knife you train in in, in very kind of specific movement patterns. You train with an, an uppercut knife, a knife from below, a knife from the side, uh, um, a, a a downward stabbing motion, uh, a a straight thrust and a slash, right? So we train against all of these things, I know, because I've done this training. Uh, those patterns are predictable, and the, the person coming at you with the knife is generally going to be under control. The, it's not going to be too forceful, and when you respond with you know, a particular technique where you use your elbows at short range or you use punches and kicks to keep the knife at, at, at some range, it's relatively tame it's not so scary. I mean, it's still pretty scary, but it's not so scary because you're facing a rubber knife. When you're in an actual confrontation with a knife-wielding attacker, it's a very different story. When somebody comes at you with an actual knife, there will be bursts of frenzied energy where somebody really tries to kill you. And the engagements will typically happen not at long range, where you can use kicks to keep someone away, not at short range where it's actually quite difficult, seriously it is, to manipulate the knife in a way that will actually hurt someone. You can trap the knife at close range in ways that you can then manipulate the, the hand and, and, and break the grip, break the hand hopefully in the process, um, break the wrist and extract the knife. I mean, all of this is possible in the short range. It's always at a medium range, which is sort of somewhere between a little bit between punching and elbow range, um, if you understand the, the, the mechanics of how striking works. When that happens, you're in deep shit. Because that's the uncertain kind of magic range where all of the real violence and fatalities really take place. That's where Hatun Tash was attacked. And she uh, received a number of very nasty cuts and lacerations to her arm. Uh, she, she was able to protect her vital organs. She wasn't stabbed um, particularly deep. Uh, she, she sustained a bad cut to her face, and she, uh, her, the attacker slashed her hand before running off. He was unsuccessful. By the grace of God, I mean, the angels were watching over her that day, believe me. Um, that's the kind of thing we're up against. I mean, that kind of hatred and that kind of violence and malice is what we're up against. So, oh, that is damn good coffee. Um, so, it is not surprising that we as men, Christian men, feel dragged down. We feel heavy. We feel depressed. 
everywhere, all around us, we see the signs of a culture tearing itself apart, destroying itself, ignoring the laws of God, ignoring any kind of self-restraint or self-control, trying to glorify sin and hedonism and debauchery. On the one side, I mean, that's the culture. On the other side, we see the government uh, creating this insidious program of control with the active and enthusiastic help of people around us, with the uh, direct approval and support of the majority of people. And you find yourself thinking, what is wrong with this environment? What is wrong with this country? If you're in Australia or the UK or the US, for instance, the reality is that if you live in a big city, most people support these ridiculous mandates against the coup. They support the idea of vaccine passports. They support the idea of mandatory inoculations with a not vaccine. It's not a vaccine, guys. If you're taking the mRNA so-called vaccines, they're not vaccines. They're gene therapies. They are very, very dangerous, untested gene therapies which are already responsible for thousands of deaths and tens if not hundreds of thousands of adverse reactions. We have no idea what the long-term implications are, but the data that's coming through right now indicates that we're in very, very deep shit. We're in real trouble because of these so-called vaccines. Again, they're not vaccines, they're gene therapies. And therein lies a clue as to how to get out of this funk, and I'll come back to that in a minute. When you see all of this, it's very, very difficult not to go to the book of Revelation and think we're in the end times. Now, people have, people have been saying for centuries that the book of Revelation prophecies are right around the corner. It's going to happen. It's going to happen any day now. It's going to take place. Not so fast, okay? I mean, look, St. Paul said, the time is growing very short. Jesus said the time is growing very short. Okay, what does that mean? What, what is time to an immortal, uh, non-temporal being? The Bible also says very clearly to the Lord, a day is as long as a millennium. I mean, I'm butchering the scriptures horribly, obviously, but a day is as long as an age, and, and an age passes in a day, something like that, right? So God does not see time the way we see time, and never has. What is very short to him may be an eternity for us. So you know, take it with a grain of salt when people run around saying, the end times are coming, the end times are coming, the vaccines are the mark of the beast. They're not the mark of the beast. The vaccines are not the mark, or the not vaccines, really. Uh, if you got the AstraZeneca or Russian jab, the uh, Sputnik V jab, that's not the mark of the beast. Okay, the, those um, those viral vector vaccines are in fact vaccines. So, and by the way, of all of the vaccines out there right now, the only one that I think is genuinely effective is the Russian one, and even the Russians are deeply skeptical of it. So anyway. We may be in the end times, I don't know, but sure as shit looks like a lot of the prophecies are lining up very nicely. We do have a very clear attempt at forming a one world government. We do have a very clear attempt at forming a panopticon. Um, the big tech monopolies have very clearly 
made it their business to process all of your data, to capture everything in one place, and to use your vaccine passport, uh, this concept of a vaccine passport, to create a, um, a, an overall digital health pass that will tell anyone who scans it all about your medical and mental history and any other information that a government deems fit. In the EU, they're already getting this vaccine passport scheme off the ground. In Germany, you right now cannot go into a grocery store if you're unvaccinated. In Ukraine, as of Monday, uh, I know because I've got a good friend of mine who lives in Ukraine, as of Monday, you will become persona non grata. You cannot go into a grocery store, you cannot go to the gym, you cannot go to a restaurant if you're not vaccinated with the Pfizer gene therapy at minimum. They refuse to accept the Russian vaccines because Ukraine doesn't like Russia right now, which is, uh, and it's really just idiotic. It's an argument between governments. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do in a situation like this? As Christians, we are commanded to stand firm, stand against the rising tide of insanity, and we are commanded to fight back. But we're you know, the hard part is how do you know how to fight back? I mean, we keep being told you're not supposed to be violent when you fight back. You're supposed to pray and fast. That's how these are our weapons. These are our spiritual weapons. But it doesn't seem to be working very well. And it's not. That's the truth. It's not. There is, in my personal opinion, and this is not scriptural, this is my personal opinion, based on the doctrines of just war and of armed resistance against persecution that come from uh, very much Christian sources, there is, in my opinion, very good ground for a Christian to take up arms against an unjust and tyrannical government. I do believe that to be the case. I do believe it is necessary at some point for people who have been pushed too far to fight back, to not just to fight back, but to annihilate their enemies. Um, and that comes really from the Old Testament uh, aspect of, of uh, Christianity. The New Testament is the completion of the Old, obviously. That does not mean that the Old Testament is completely abrogated and rendered worthless. It's not. We are commanded to pray for our enemies, to seek justice for them, to help them when they ask of it. But here's the key. They have to genuinely repent. We give them every chance in the book to repent. And then, if they refuse to do so, we crush them and destroy them utterly. That's the part that too many Christians are missing today. So how, again, do you build to that point? Because that's the end point. That's the ultimate, like, absolute push to the wall, you know, unable to do anything else, extreme. What do you do before that happens? First thing you need to do as a Christian get married and have kids and I know I know I mean I'm gonna get so much hate mail from gammas and blue pill Christians churchians really and uh, MGTOW types who are like you idiot it's the laws you can't do this it's so stupid why would you take the risk there are no good women out there guys I know I was espousing these exact same arguments 10 years ago okay I know I know how bad it is. My site started up, the, the old blogger site started up in 
on January 1st, 2013. From Jan 1st, 2013 to Jan, basically to January, oh, I don't know, about 2017. That's exactly the line I was preaching. For those five years, more or less, that's exactly what I was saying. Why was I saying it? Because that's the world we live in. It's a world in which marriage and traditional values are absolutely being destroyed, where women are just awful to date and to be with and to marry. They're just, I mean, it, Western women are some of the worst in the world, and that's not an exaggeration, especially if you're like me and you've traveled a bit. Actually, I've traveled a lot, and you've seen what else is out there. I have personally seen Russian and Asian women come here to where I am, literally to my area of the world, meaning to my neighborhood, and walk around. And once I've pointed out to them how ugly and how unkempt and how degraded women are around here, they look at it and go, holy shit, you're right. They didn't see it before, but now they see it. They understand how good things are back where they came from, how women where they, where they are from understand how to be traditional and feminine. So I get why men are so hung up on this. I get why they are so angry. I get why they are so depressed. And I'm telling you, as a man, sack up. Put on your big boy pants and get on with doing what you must do. At this point, you are more than welcome, and I absolutely welcome you, to call me a massive hypocrite, a flagrant hypocrite, a blatant hypocrite, and you'd be right. I would certainly not argue with you, because I myself am, un am unmarried. I hope to change that by middle of next year, but, you know, that's, that's a whole different story. I'm not going to go into that. Um, all I will say is that having seen for myself what both a good marriage looks like and a really, really, really bad marriage looks like, you know, multiple times. I'm not, I'm, I'm not talking about any particular marriage um, that I've seen or witnessed. I'm not, you know, th this is just a, uh, a statement from having observed a lot of different couples over a lot of, in a lot of different contexts. I've seen what good marriages look like and I've seen what bad marriages look like. And the good marriages always have one thing in common, which is absolute devotion between a man and a woman to each other real love and commitment and a give and take and understanding that in marriage it's two people two persons becoming one entity so there's these two persons do not lose their individual identities they don't they simply merge into one being into one harmonious whole where each person gives and takes each entity each individual in that entity has its own separate consciousness, its own free will, but still exists for the love and the pleasure and the joy and the happiness of its other half, as you were. The bad marriages invariably share the same uh, problem, selfishness and pride and vanity. If you are a man listening to this, understand that you have a lot of work to do on yourself. And you need to put in that effort. You need to put in that work. You cannot go into a marriage, you cannot go to a woman, really, and go into a marriage thinking you will never change and she should never change either. That's ridiculous. You're going to change. 
you're going to grow and mature and change and develop as human beings, as you experience life through each other's eyes. And it's important to understand that change and accept it. When you make that kind of commitment, you really have to see it through. You can't go into it half arse. You can't go into it thinking, oh, I'll never find anyone better. That's the wrong reason to get married. The only reason you should get married to a woman as a man is because you see a future with this woman and you see children in that future. For the women out there, I mean, there's going to be like, I don't know, there might be one woman who listens to my podcast and isn't mortally offended by what I have to say. Um, if she exists, you know, I'd happily pay her $10. Rhetorically speaking, of course. Um, <laughs> I, I seriously doubt such a woman exists, but if such a woman exists, understand you have a few things to do on your side. Number one, put the Twinkie down. Get in shape, go to the gym, lift weights, do exercise, get toned, get fit. Nobody likes a fat, ugly woman. If you think that you can get away with being a fat, ugly woman and still find a good quality man, well, in a debased Western society, maybe you can, but I'm not talking about a debased Western society. I'm talking about a proper Christian marriage. If you think you can get away with that in a Christian marriage, you're barking up the wrong tree. That's ridiculous. You need to be desirable for your man. And your man should be desirable for you, by the way. This applies to men as well. Stay in decent shape. Don't let yourself get fat and slow and stupid. Make sure that you retain your desire for your partner. And by that, I mean work on yourself. Marriage is hard work. It really is. It's really hard to maintain love and affection for each other when there's so much tension going on, you know, so many distractions in the world around us. Make the time for yourselves to make time for each other. For women, drop the attitude. So put down the Twinkies, Put down the processed carbs, start eating real food, get some exercise, and drop the attitude. You are not the most interesting person in the world. You are not the be-all and end-all. Your opinions are not that interesting. Especially if you have a career, no one gives a crap. No man in his right mind cares about you for your career. No man cares about your achievements. No man cares about your education. No man gives a crap about any of these things. No real, you know, masculine Christian man, at least, gives a crap about any of that. We might respect you for it. I mean, yes, it's an interesting, impressive achievement. Okay, so, great. So you went to, what, one, an Ivy League school. You studied English literature. All right, fine, whatever. I studied mathematics twice. I mean, English literature does not interest me. I can read that stuff on my own. You studied accounting. Oh, boo-hoo. So what? You studied psychology. Oh, boy, here we go. No one cares. No one cares about your educational achievements. No one cares about your career achievements. We care about how you make us feel as men. If you are constantly running your man down, constantly belittling him, constantly arguing with him, constantly telling him that he's a loser and a freak and a wimp, don't be surprised when you're unhappy for the rest of your life. Drop the attitude. Another secret for women would be learn some domestic skills. Learn how to cook. Learn how to clean a house. 
learn how to be uh, pleasant to be around. That's going to get you a man very quickly. That is the first step to fighting off the the oppression and depression around us. For men to be men and women to be women. And in a Christian context, that means getting married and having kids. Marriage is the manifestation of love, and children are the manifestation of hope. There is no better way to fight back against a world that hates you and that hates everything that is good, beautiful, and true than by manifesting love and hope. Because against these things, evil cannot win. It will try to destroy these things, and it will do a very good job, but it can't win. I'll give you a very simple example of why and how it works. Look at Russia today. The neo-Tsar was in a place called Baldai uh, recently, and not too long ago, and he offered a keynote speech, as he does, I think, every year. It was a it was, I think it was a, I, I can't quite remember exactly what it was, but there's like a, every year he does um, this conversation with Putin. That it's almost like an AMA, ask me anything. And he gives keynote remarks and then he talks to journalists um, and takes questions from the public. Fascinating stuff. And if you understand Russian or you appreciate, even if you just appreciate Russian culture or Russian um, way of thinking, I recommend watching it because you see how he thinks. It's very interesting. The Neo-Tsar is one of the smartest men I've ever seen on the world stage, and he is very erudite, very well-informed, very well-spoken, actually, uh, when you listen to him speak in Russian. And he speaks generally quite at length without too many of these ums and ahs and pauses. Nu, что, так... That, that sort of thing in Russian, the, the, the equivalents, right? He speaks quite fluidly. I recommend watching it if you can. He delivered a keynote address in which he pointed out that Russia's movement towards the West has basically stalled, and it's not because Russia has stopped being a Western power. It's because the West has stopped being a Western power. There's a very good article in Russia Today, RT.com, which um, I will link in the description box. Very, very good. In which it points out that Russia had been moving towards the West for 300 years. And now that's stopped, mainly because the West has forgotten what it is. Russia today, as a country, as an empire, as what really is a nation, it's not an empire anymore, uh, as a nation, spanning 11 time zones with God only knows how much territory involved uh, and 147 million people is actually a moderate conservative nation. And that's true. It is. Russia is not a far-right nation. It's not a fascist state. It's not a rogue nation. I get really offended by Western hornalists and prostitutes who call it that. I really get angry about it. I really do want to throw these people off buildings just because they're so terminally stupid when they say stuff like that. It, I mean, as you can tell, it really makes me pissed off. The reason it gets me pissed off is because I've lived in Russia, and I know the Russian people, and I respect them deeply. So I understand what they mean when they say, uh, we are a moderately conservative nation. They really are. They believe in the basic foundations of a conservative state. 
Russia is a country that used to be, to a large extent, a Western nation. The majority of Russia's economic power, political influence, and economy, uh, and uh, military is focused in the West, the Western third of the country, basically. If you look at Russia, you can very, 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 very roughly divide it into thirds. There's the Western, very roughly one third, concentrated around Moscow, St. Petersburg, uh, Volgograd, uh, what else? Um, th that sort of range of city, uh, 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 Tula, uh, where else? Uh, Tula, Tver, uh, Sevastopol is in Crimea, so that doesn't really count. Um, but basically all of the Western Russian cities, and of course Kaliningrad in the Baltic, and these are the power centers of modern-day Russia, and have been for many centuries. Then there's the middle third, very roughly the middle third, which is basically Siberia. There's sod all out there. You could drop the whole of the United States of America, all of it, into Siberia, and nothing and nobody would notice except the mosquitoes and the bears, and that's it. Like no one else would care. You know, all 330 million people dropped in, and the entire geographic span of the USA dropped straight into Siberia. Nobody would know. Nobody would care. That's how big it is. But that's where all of Russia's mineral resources primarily are focused and located. And then there's the Far East. Um, Yekaterinburg, uh, Khabarovsk, uh, Khabarovsk, yeah, Khabarovsk. My, uh, my apologies. Um, very sorry, my pronunciation is not good. It's been a while since I've been able to speak Russian on a regular basis. Uh, but that's really very, very sparsely populated territory. And in all honesty, it's more expensive for Russians to get there than it is for them to get to New Zealand. Not making that up. That's true. That's absolutely true. You can ask Russians themselves. They'll tell you. So these... This is what Russia is like, but Russia in general as a culture is focused on three things. State, religion, family. What does that sound like? The three pillars of Western civilization. That's, that's literally it. Greco-Roman philosophy, of which Russia is very much an heir. I mean, just looking at the script of, of Russian Cyrillic, the Cyrillic language, or the, no, not language, damn it, the Cyrillic script, has its roots in something called the Glagolitic script, um, which came from uh, Saint Basil, something or the other, um, an Orthodox or Christian monk from like 1,200 years ago, something like that. Uh, and that script is based in Greek, which is why, as it happens, because I can read Russian, I mean, I can read Cyrillic, I can also sort of read Greek, not very well, admittedly, but I can sort of read Greek. Um, and it's interesting. And, and the two languages actually share a lot of commonalities. Greek is a case-based language. Russian is very much a case-based language. Greek has four cases, I think. Uh, Russian has six. Uh, Greek has genders. Russian has genders. So, you know, I mean, they, they share a, a great deal of commonality. Christian morality. Well, Russia is the home of the Russian Orthodox Church, which is Russia. the, the Russian Orthodox Church considers itself the heir to... Um, the true church, the, the, the church of Byzantium, the Eastern church, as it were, the Greek church, and the European nations. Well, Russia has long considered itself to be a European nation. If you go to 
any part of Western Russia, you will see the influence of European architecture, just as a small example. St. Petersburg is an amazing city precisely because it combines the very best of European architecture with Western or Russian architecture, excuse me. The uh, city center of Moscow is unbelievably beautiful for the exact same reason. It combines the very best of Western European Italian, actually, architecture with the very best of Russian architecture. It is, or it was for a very long time, a European nation. This is the model upon which we can base ourselves. Now, I'm not saying Russia's perfect because it's not. Russia has a very, 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 very long list of problems. The Russian people themselves recognize these problems. Nobody's denying that. But Russia provides a way forward as an example of what to do. In Russia, there is a massive Christian revival underway. Most people don't know about this, but it's true. The Russian Orthodox Church is rebuilding and expanding at a rate we've not seen anywhere else in any other part of the Christian world except in Africa. Africa is the fastest growing region of, of uh, the Christian faith. Russia is one of the top fastest growing regions. There is a massive return, a, a revival, a reawakening of faith, of spirituality within the Russian people and it's glorious to watch. It's wonderful to see. The Russian Orthodox Church is expanding there at a rate that it hasn't seen in centuries. And it's doing so because people recognize that modernity is sick and evil. And they want to return to something more rooted. They want to return to a, the faith of their fathers and their mothers. That's where we have to go. I told you about 20 minutes ago, you know, get married, have kids. That's what the Russians are doing. I mean, they're not doing it fast enough, but they're doing it. That's what the Central Europeans are doing in Hungary, in Poland, in the Czech Republic. They're doing it. They're having families. They're having children. And that's good. The future belongs to those who show up for it. And that's what these people are doing. We will probably see in the future Russia as a major center of Christian power. I do believe that. I do think that's what's going to happen. I do think that Russia will become the power center of the Christian world, eventually. And I do think that as the United States collapses and breaks up, uh, and the really hard times begin, um, I do believe that a, at least one Christian nation will arise out of the ashes. And that's, you know, that's good to look forward to. But in the meantime, what can you do as a man to prepare? Again, marry, have children, Gun up, prepare physically, mentally, and spiritually for what is to come. Find those around you who think like you. Don't give in to despair. Prepare yourself physically. That's very important because the physical aspect of war is going to come crashing down on all of us before very long. It's not going to take much longer for this to happen. And when the time comes, act. Act to protect yourself and your home and your loved ones with force. This comes back to the doctrine of just war that I was talking about earlier on. We have been pushed and subjected to true evil for going on two years now with these lockdowns, these mask mandates, these vaccination mandates for not vaccines. Uh, we have had state control imposed upon us and we've given up most of our freedoms willingly. 
which was unbelievably stupid of us. Most of our churches are corrupt to the core. The Vatican has basically said it is acceptable for Catholics to receive the not-vax, the Pfizer not-vax. This is despite the fact that we now know the Pfizer not-vaccine was developed using stem cells taken from an aborted fetus from 50 years back. That stem cell line comes from an aborted fetus. We now have emails coming from the Pfizer execs pointing out, basically saying to internal employees, don't talk about the fact that these vaccines were developed using uh, aborted fetus stem cells. Don't talk about that stuff. In order to understand why that's so evil, understand this. When they take one of these uh, babies, I mean fetuses, out of the womb, many of them are still viable. Many of them could survive eventually on their own. To kill them, they cut out the kidneys while these babies are still alive. Think about how barbaric and disgusting that is. Think about how awful that is. Think about how immoral it is. And the Catholic Church's leadership has basically said, it's okay for you to use, to, to accept this not vaccine in your arm, even though we know it's, it was created using aborted stem cells. Uh, you know, stem, okay. More specifically, more precisely, stem cells, stem cell lines from an aborted fetus from 50 years ago. That is the level of depravity and evil within the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church has lost its way. The Catholic Church believes and preaches as a matter of doctrine in the sinless nature of the Virgin Mary. Now, the Virgin Mary is an amazing woman. It's, I mean, she is, she is a, a, a very potent spiritual force, absolutely, mother of Jesus Christ, etc. But sinless nature? Really? Where did that come from? Where's that in the Bible? It doesn't exist. It's not there. That's nonsense. Where do we get this idea that the Virgin Mary herself was sinless, was immaculate? That's ridiculous. And then you set up the problem of infinite regress, by the way. I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to bash our Catholic brothers here because that would ignite a whole food fight and that would be both hilarious and stupid. But you cannot argue this with a straight face. It's just not, it, it, there's nothing biblical about it. Nor can you argue that the Word of Faith movement, or that the Charismatic movement, or that many of these pro well, progressive Christianity is not Christian. It's Progressive Christianity is, as Pastor John MacArthur likes to say, progressive Christianity is like grape nuts. They're neither grapes nor nuts. Uh, progressive Christians are neither progressive nor Christians. Uh, Unitarians, you know, forget about it. These guys have no clue. But most Christian denominations have strayed very far away from the realities of the faith. What does what is the reality of the Christian faith? It's not about um, getting whatever you want. It's not about living your best life now. Anyone who thinks that you can live your best life now probably has no understanding of heaven and hell. Christianity is not about some magical wish-granting MacGuffin that came into this world and did some miracles and fed a lot of people. That's ridiculous. That's not Christianity. What is Christianity? Accept this here and now. Accept what Christianity is, and then you'll have a path forward. You'll know and understand why you need to keep fighting. Christianity is about the divine becoming man in the midst of blood and shit in a manger in Bethlehem. Christianity is about 
a timeless war between God and an evil, psychopathic, immortal, mass murderer that controls this world. Christianity is about defeating that evil and providing a way forward, providing a clear path to victory. That is Christianity. Christianity is about God becoming man and giving himself up for men on our behalf in order to redeem us from our own sins. That is Christianity. That is what the church should be preaching, and most churches don't preach it. If your church doesn't preach this understanding of Christianity, walk away. Get out. Find your own Christian church. Build one yourself if you have to. What does it say in the Bible? Wherever two or three of you are gathered in my name, there I will be. That's what you have to do. If your Sunday pastor, if your if your pastor at Sunday service isn't talking to you every time about salvation and sin, if he isn't explaining to you every time about hope and faith and love, if he isn't explaining to you every time about how the Bible offers you a clear guide to how to live your life, walk away. If he's trying to get you to donate money and tithe constantly to give up, you know, to, to basically, if he's basically treating God as, as an investment portfolio, walk away. I mean, that's literally what a lot of these charismatic preachers do. They, they, they tell you, give up 10% of your, of your income, tithe, and make sure you, you give up that tithe no matter what. You know, if you've lost your job, you're sitting at home wondering what to do. Kevin, um, what's his name? Keith, Kenneth Copeland, that's it. Kenneth Copeland, I mean, I, I can't, that guy genuinely scares me. If you watch videos of Kenneth Copeland in that infamous um, uh, episode uh, last year where he like, he, he banished COVID or whatever it was from the United States, that was hysterically stupid. But there's a, there's a segment of his videos where you look at, he's staring directly at the camera and you can look at his eyes and you see his face and you're like, holy crap, that guy has a demon in him. He really does. He looks exactly like you would expect a demon-possessed man to look. It's very scary and very, very disconcerting. But that's what he looks like. That guy uh, basically was was on with um, somebody else, some, some other charlatan, and was talking about how, you know, you need to give up your tithe and don't ever stop tithing. You, you, you slip in your tithe in an envelope or you mail it in, whatever, and then you go home and do whatever you have to do. No, no, no. That's ridiculous. That is directly anti-biblical. What did Jesus say when he saw the, the woman, uh, the desperately poor woman, the destitute woman, putting her last two uh, copper coins into the, the synagogue collection box because you know the priests and the rabbis demanded it? He said, not one stone of this this uh, this temple will remain standing, something like that. Again, my apologies to the big fella upstairs. I'm hopelessly butchering the scriptures. I apologize to you as my listeners. I know I'm not quoting chapter and verse. I get it, right? But you get the the basic idea. That's what I'm trying to tell you. This is what you have to do. It's not enough just to sit around moping about things. You have to engage with each other and you have to engage with a world that is desperate for the truth. 
That's the reality of everything we're seeing. The world has seen, for the last two years, the mask ripped off governments around the world, off uh, like sort of transnational or, or global agencies, off big tech, off big corporations. The mask has been removed. And for the first time, millions and hundreds of millions of people are able to see for themselves the true faces of these people. They're able to understand that people like Larry Fink of BlackRock and people like, well, the, the fake president in the US, Joe Biden, people like Boris Johnson are absolutely opposed to their freedoms and their liberties and their safety and their security. They are selling them poison, not just in the, fake, in the form of fake vaccines, but in the form of this ridiculous green agenda, in the form of a nanny state that controls every aspect of their lives and in the form of big tech that owns them and creates artificial versions of them and can censor them and destroy them at will. The world is hungry for truth. It's hungry for the truth, the only one that really matters. So stop being afraid. I get it. People are afraid. People are terrified. I find this, I mean, I find this myself whenever I talk to people around me. I often, you know, have to kind of self-consciously control what I say because I'm afraid of offending people. But I'm growing more and more tired of doing it. I'm growing more and more sick and tired of self-censoring myself, of holding back on what I believe. And I do it just to be polite. I do it to be nice. And that's a deeply ingrained part of my training, my upbringing. You, know, you should be nice to people. You shouldn't really say what you think. You, should, you, should, you shouldn't make people feel uncomfortable. It's a very, uh, very common disease from where I come from. That, that part of the world, that whole part of the world is like that. You can't say what you think. You can't offend people. You can't uh, be abrupt or brusque with people. Well, the time is rapidly approaching, if it isn't upon us already, when that attitude is going to be incredibly stupid and counterproductive, and we need to stop doing it. We need to get on with just saying what needs to be said. We need to say homosexuality is wrong and evil and disgusting. We need to say that governments around the world are really trying very hard to destroy us. We need to say to people, this is not okay to live like this. And we need to say, marriage and children are good things. We need to tell women, stop giving it away for free. <laughs> we need to tell men, yes, it's nice when you can have, when you can uh, get the milk for free instead of paying for the cow, okay, fine. But you're not going to be happy in the long run if you do that. We need to be honest about these things with people and with ourselves. And if we're not honest with ourselves, we're never going to get away from the evil of this world. It's just going to keep coming for us. Because the evil of this world thrives on lies. It is built on lies. It is a lie. It promises you that you can have everything you want if you just give your soul away piece by piece. And believe me, I know, because I tried to live by those lies for a long time. And to some extent, I still have to live by those lies. It's not fun. It's not easy. It's not, it's not enjoyable at all. 
which is why it's so refreshing when I come across somebody who just speaks his mind and says, this is what I think and you know, this is what I believe. Maybe he's wrong. Okay, fine, he's wrong. I mean, you can have a lively spirited debate with somebody like that. But when you find somebody who just willingly kowtows to lies, then you've got a problem. That's someone who you know you can't trust. I'd like to close with one last thought, which is about this idea of uh, how do I put it? It's this idea. Oh, yeah. It's it's this this idea of this sorting mechanism. What we've seen over the last eighteen months, two years almost, is a sorting mechanism, literally. The coof restrictions, the vaccine mandates, the idiotic big tech clampdowns, all of it, is a sorting mechanism. What we're seeing is a way to mark out those who will not obey, who will not lay down and give up, who will not be sheep, who will fight, who will go to war. What do you think is happening right now in places where they've mandated vaccines in the United States? Those people are walking away in their tens of thousands. They're refusing. The fake administration mandated vaccine among firefighters, policemen, nurses, and healthcare workers, and those people are walking away precisely at the time when they needed the most. It's a sorting mechanism. You are now being presented with very stark choices about which side you're going to take. Don't choose the wrong side. Choose well, because this may be the last time you ever have that choice. Choose where you're going to be. Choose which side of the war you want to fight on. If that doesn't give you hope and doesn't give you joy and a sense of um, something to look forward to, I really don't know what will. My martial arts teacher, I mean, he's a man I revere, really. Uh, he's had kind of a messed up life in a lot of ways, but he's an absolute badass when it comes to fighting. Told me something that I've never forgotten. This was years ago. I've never forgotten it in the eight years since, pretty much the eight years since I heard it. When you get into a fight, when you know a fight is inevitable, don't be afraid. Be happy. Yes, I'm going to go into a fight. This is awesome. This is fantastic. That's exactly what he's like. <laughs> it's hilarious to watch. He's like, he's shorter than me. I mean, I'm, I'm what, 5'10? Um, he's 5'6, maybe. I'm about 30 pounds heavier than him at least. And he's like bouncing up and down with joy. And I'm sitting there going, holy shit, this guy is scary. That's the attitude to have. Revel in the fight. Revel in the conflict. It's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, it's going to be scary, but it's going to be a lot of fun. Don't back away from it. Enjoy it. Because this may be the last time in your life you get a chance to make a real difference in something important. And with that, we are up to the one-hour mark, and uh, I'm about out of coffee, damn it, and I need some more. Uh, but I hope this has been helpful. I hope this has been encouraging to some of my Christian brothers out there. Uh, I hope that people listening to this appreciate what I have said, and that some of these thoughts have been useful to you. Um, and yeah, I mean, good luck to you. <laughs>
Um, and I hope that you will tune in again for whenever the next podcast happens. Uh, this has been Didactic Mind, episode 86 of Call to Arms, and I am Didact, signing off.